Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The tabernacle in the Old Testament paints a marvelous and detailed picture of Christ and God's New Testament plan or economy. All of the details are meaningful and they all point us to Christ. Among the various items in the tabernacle, the golden lampstand is particularly interesting, even mysterious, for in this type we not only see the shining forth of Christ as the light of life, but we see the entire triune God as well, but even more we see us the believers as part of this golden, shining lampstand. Please stay with us as we consider the golden lampstand on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Bob Danker has joined us again today. Bob, welcome to this program again on the golden lampstand. It's good to be with you again, Chris. Bob, we're going to spend another message today looking at the lampstand that the Lord prescribed to be in the holy place of the tabernacle. Of all the items in the tabernacle, this one is the most mysterious in its symbolism. Why is that, Bob? Why is the lampstand so mysterious? Well, the lampstand is so mysterious because it signifies so many things. The first time the lampstand is mentioned is right here in the book of Exodus in chapter 25. And in this revelation of the lampstand, the lampstand signifies the triune God himself. In this portion of the word, it also signifies Christ as the embodiment of the triune God. Then later in the Bible, in 1 Kings, we see the lampstand again in relation to the building of the temple. There it signifies the enlargement of Christ because the lampstand in 1 Kings is larger than the one in Exodus. Then we go on to the end of the Old Testament. In the book of Zechariah, we see the lampstand again. And there, the lampstand signifies the children of Israel as the expression of God in the Old Testament age. And in that portion, the emphasis is on the Spirit, the sevenfold intensified Spirit as the reality of Christ. But then we go on to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, we have seven golden lampstands. These golden lampstands do not signify Christ, and they do not signify the Spirit. They signify local churches. And that means that we, the believers in Christ, are included in the lampstand. So you can see from this panoramic view of the lampstand in the Bible that the lampstand is very rich in its significance, in its symbolism and very mysterious. It's one of these items that, uh, as you've pointed out now, really runs through the whole of the Scripture, Old and New Testament. Really, it's one of those connecting threads, isn't it, Bob, in God's divine revelation? Yes, Chris, it is. We're going to pick up Witness Lee's sharing in this first section, Bob, describing the outward appearance of the lampstand as it appears here for the first time in Exodus 25. The verse you referred to is this one. It's verse 31. 
and you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the lampstand be made. Its base and its shaft, its cups, its knobs, and its blossoming buds shall be from it. And there shall be six branches going out from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from its one side, and three branches of the lampstand from its other side. Bob, this description sounds very much like a tree, doesn't it? Yes. And that, we will see, is the topic of this first section. Let's join Witness Lee. The divine revelation shows us that this lampstand is a tree, T-R-E-E. According to description, this tree grows because it has the petals. Then you have blossom, and blossoming indicates growing. It is a tree, growing. Oh, this is quite meaningful. Number one, this is a golden tree. The nature of the tree is gold, the divine nature of gold. The lampstand is the very expression of the triune God. The triune God is a living tree. He grows, he buds, he blossoms, and the blossoming is the shining. Number two, what tree is this? An almond tree full of almond blossoms. In typology, almond always signifies resurrection life. So, this is a tree in resurrection. Only God is resurrection. What is resurrection? Resurrection is a kind of life that overcomes death. Death can do nothing with such a life. Not only so, life grows out light. Life blossoms out light. Light is just the blossoming of life. When you are growing and blossoming, life shines. Actually, your blossoming is shining. You grow life, but you blossom light. Now, what are the seven lamps? You go to the end of the Bible, you get the answer. What are the seven lamps? Spirit! Look at the picture. Five things here. The divine nature, resurrection, life, the spirit, and then light. The entire Bible just reveals these five things. Now, I turn the question to you. What are you? You have to say, I am just a part of this wonderful tree. We all are part of this wonderful tree with divine nature, hallelujah, in resurrection, with life, with the spirit, shine the light. Bob, this lampstand is really mysterious, and I would say also really marvelous. It was fashioned out of pure gold, but with branches, petals, and blossoms, it really is a tree. What's significant, Bob, about a lampstand that looks like a tree, even an almond tree? Well, the significance here is really marvelous. 
in the description of the lampstand, it surely is a tree because it has branches. It has six branches. It has petals and flowers. Surely this is a tree, and this signifies that the lampstand is something living. It's something full of life, and it's something that grows, that buds, that blossoms. And the blossoming of the lampstand is just the shining of the light of the lampstand. Now, this lampstand bears almond blossoms, and in the scriptures, almonds signify the resurrection life. You remember, in the book of Numbers, there is an account there of a discrepancy between Moses and the leaders of the uh, people of Israel. And Moses proposed that all the leaders of the 12 tribes would bring a rod, that means just a stick without any life in it, and they would put the rods of all the leaders of the tribes of Israel plus the rod of Aaron in the Holy of Holies overnight, and in the morning, Moses was to go in and to look at all these rods. And when he went in, all the other rods were just still remained as dead sticks. But the rod of Aaron was different. The rod of Aaron had budded, blossomed, and had borne ripe almonds. Surely this is a picture of resurrection, a dead stick without any life, buds, blossoms, and brings forth almonds as fruit. So here, according to this picture in Numbers, we can see that almonds signify resurrection. Based upon this and the description of the lampstand here in Exodus 25, we can see that the lampstand, which signifies the triune God, is a tree of resurrection life. This tree of resurrection life is growing, budding, and blossoming to shine out the light. This means that the triune God is portrayed as a growing tree in the picture of the lampstand. And again, the life in this tree is the resurrection life. What is resurrection life? Well, John eleven twenty five tells us clearly. The Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is much more than just coming back to life after you have died. Resurrection is a living person. This living person is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the Lord, as we know, is the embodiment of the triune God. So resurrection is the triune God himself. And the lampstand is a resurrection tree. Mysterious and, yes, marvelous, Brother Bob. When we looked at the type for the first time, we saw that the materials are significant as well. So far, we've covered or touched the Ark of the Testimony. We've touched the Table of the Bread of the Presence. And in those two instances, we saw that the materials that were involved in the construction were very significant. Once again, that's true as we come to the lampstand. And it seems to be only of one element, pure gold. But there is a very small, seemingly insignificant element in addition to the gold, and that is, as a lampstand, it must have a wick to produce the light. We're going to look at the wick in this next section. This lampstand is absolutely golden, signifying that Christ, as the embodiment of God, to be this lampstand, is altogether divine. That's right. But listen, you have a little thing in the lampstand which is very important. You have a wake, W-I-C-K. A little thing 
mainly made of cotton, somewhat like a thread, like a cotton string. We tin the golden stalks, and on the top cup, oil is contained there. Then when you light the lamp, you just burn the wick, and the wick burns the oil. Then the wick gives light. Every morning, a priest has to trim the lamp. To trim the lamp is to snuff the child awake. So you have snuffers, just like scissors, to cut. This signifies the human nature. The lampstand should not be just Christ himself. With Christ, his humanity will never produce charred wick. Whose humanity will have <laughs> become a child? Yours and mine. Leviticus tells us the priest every morning has to snuff. That means what? In my morning watch, every morning, the first thing I do is to make confession. Lord, forgive me of all my defects, failures, weak points, wrongdoings, and cleanse me of all the things with your precious blood. That means every morning you look at yourself, something charred. Every morning a priest has to trim the lamb to snuff all the charred wicks. At the same time, the priest had to add more oil. Cutting the charred wicks and add oil. This is the priest's work to take care of the lamp. In shepherding, we must know how to snuff. So many dear ones today, they are not shining. Why? Because the charred wick is 12 inches long. <laughs> the charred part is too long. So the wick just couldn't burn so well. It cannot give light adequately because the charred part is too long. Bob, I think this point will need a little development to help us all understand. The lampstand was made, as we have seen, of pure gold, signifying God's divine nature. At the tip of each of the branches, there were these cups that actually became the lamps. And inside each cup, of course, was a supply of oil and a wick, a cotton wick. And part of the priest's daily duties was to trim the charred portion of the wick. This is the very experiential point that we want to talk about. Bob, what does this trimming or snuffing, as Witness Lee quoted the Bible there, what does it refer to? Well, as you said, Chris, this uh, matter of snuffing the wick or cutting off the charred part of the wick is very significant for our Christian experience. The wick here was made of cotton, and cotton is uh, something of the plant life, and that signifies humanity. And, of course, this humanity, the humanity that can become charred, is not the humanity of Christ, because Christ's humanity never produced any char, anything that would frustrate the shining. It's our humanity that produces char, that frustrates the shining of the light in us and through us. Every morning, the priest would enter into the holy place, and he would trim the lamps. That means he would cut off the charred wick 
and he would add more oil so that the lampstand would shine brightly. And this has a great significance, a wonderful application to our Christian experience. This tells us that every morning we, as New Testament priests, need to snuff the lamp and add the oil. That means in the morning we need to cut off our charred humanity. What does this charred humanity signify? Well, we are Christians. We have the divine life and we have the divine nature, but we don't always live by the divine life and we don't always live by the divine nature. Sometimes we live in the flesh. Sometimes we just live by our natural life. So during the course of the day, our humanity will produce something that we could liken to char or a burnt part. And if that burnt part of, say, a wick on a lamp is not cut off, if it's allowed to grow, then eventually the light will become dim and the shining will be frustrated. This is true of our Christian life also. If we don't cut off the charred part of our humanity, then the shining of Christ within us as the light of life will be hindered. So every morning, we need to come to the Lord and open our hearts to the Lord and begin to confess our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, and our mistakes. We should not talk to the Lord about others' sins, about their charred humanity. We should confess our own sins, the very things in our living that frustrate the shining of Christ as the light of life. This confessing of our sins is really a practical application of the cutting off of the charred wick, which the priest did every morning. So this is a wonderful picture showing that in the morning, at the beginning of the day, we should begin by confessing our failures to the Lord. These are failures that we made the day before, the very things that accumulate in our humanity and frustrate the shining of light. When we confess these things to the Lord, he, with our help, cuts off the charred wick. And also, after we confess to the Lord and we receive the cleansing of his blood, we then need to exercise our spirit, open our whole being to the Lord, touch him in the word, and get more of the life-giving spirit into us as the oil. You know, the priest, after he cut off the charred wick, he added more oil. Oil is also needed for the shining of the light. If we will cut off our charred humanity by confessing our sins, and if we will enjoy Christ as the life-giving spirit in our spirit to add more of this wonderful divine oil into our being, then we will be a shining people, a people always shining with the light of life. It's interesting, Bob, this is uh, described as a function, a duty of the priests. And of course, we've talked before about the universal priesthood in the body of Christ. We all are priests, and this is really our priestly function, isn't it, to have this kind of experience of the trimming and the filling each day with the Lord. Yes, Chris, we all are priests. Every believer is a priest. Well, Bob, we've got one section left, and in this one, we're going to look at the nature or quality or the types of light involved with each of the three sections of the tabernacle. This is quite interesting. Let's go back to Witness Lee. In the outer court, no covering, no shade. You have the natural light. Too many Christians today are in the outer court. Their light is natural. 
too many Christians today that look at things all the time according to the natural philosophy, natural culture, natural background, natural education, natural thought, natural perspectives. In the holy place, you have the lampstand. This is the shining of Christ in resurrection and in the spirit. And this shining light excludes all human thoughts, concepts, and perspectives. When we got enlightened by Christ shining, all our natural thought, human concepts, perspectives, all are dropped. All are excluded. We don't have natural light. When Christ shines within us, all the natural concepts will be dropped. And then in the Holy of Holies is the inmost light. This is the outer light, this is the inner light, and this is the inmost light. The natural light in the outer car is the outer light. And the light of the lampstand in the holy place is the inner light. And then God's category as the light in the Holy of Holies is the inmost light. That is God's glory appearing on the very Christ, who is the propitiatory cover. Well, Bob, of course, the function of the lampstand was to provide light for the holy place. It's very interesting that these three different portions or sections of the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies, each had a distinctive kind of light associated. Let's talk a little bit about the light in the outer court and the light in the holy place and the light in the holy of holies. Yes, Chris, this also has a strong application to our Christian experience. The light in the outer court, of course, the outer court was just under the sky. There was no covering. So the light in the outer court was the natural light, the light of the sun, the light of the moon, the light of the stars. And in our Christian experience, the natural light signifies our natural concepts and our natural way of thinking. We are human beings. In our humanity, we have our natural makeup. And this natural makeup produces a kind of a natural way of looking at things, a natural way of thinking, natural concepts in our mind. This is the light in the outer court. It's a natural light. But when we enter into the holy place in the tabernacle, we find another kind of light. Because the tabernacle is fully enclosed, the light of the sun, the light of the moon, and the light of the stars cannot enter into the tabernacle. So we need another kind of light in the tabernacle. This light comes from the lampstand. And this shining of the lampstand has nothing to do with our natural concepts and our natural way of thinking. The light of the lampstand is Christ himself shining in resurrection and in the Spirit. When we enter into the holy place and we eat Christ as the bread on the showbread table, then we experience the shining of the divine life, which is Christ himself within us. This light is not natural. And when we receive this kind of light, the light of the lampstand, then spontaneously all our natural concepts and our natural thoughts are put away. We are delivered from our natural way of thinking, and we begin to see something under the divine light that shines in the holy place. And this light in the holy place is not natural. It's Christ himself shining, 
But yet it's not the most wonderful kind of light. It's not the deepest kind of light. There's a third kind of light. And this is the light that shines in the Holy of Holies. This light that shines in the Holy of Holies is the very glory of God. This light is just God himself appearing in his glory on the cover of the ark. The golden propitiatory cover that was on the ark is a type of Christ. To enjoy this kind of light, we need to go deeper with the Lord. We need to enter deeply into our spirit. You know, today, the practical Holy of Holies is our regenerated spirit. We need to enter into our spirit, and there we can see God himself shining in his glory, appearing to us on Christ as the cover of the ark. This is the deepest light, the innermost light, and this is the light that we need to press on. We need to press on in our experience with the Lord until we enter the Holy of Holies and we enjoy the shining of God's glory. Bob, I've really enjoyed our fellowship today. This has uh, not only been enjoyable, we could use the word enlightening. It almost sounds uh, maybe a bit trite in this context. We've had some shining. That's what's most wonderful and satisfying, both to us and I think to the Lord as well. Pray that all of the listeners receive that shining as they hear this program. Thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure, Chris, to be with you. Today for Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. To discover more of what Living Stream has to offer, please visit ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll be able to read over 600 titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee online and free of charge. Again, the website, ministrybooks.org. Thanks for listening today.